Seated, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn. Turn to the first chapter, first chapter of the book of Acts. There we'll see Luke's account of the ascension of Jesus. And it'll begin in chapter 1 of Acts, beginning at verse 6. It is such a joy and privilege to be able to share a memorial weekend with you, my church family. Thank you for, for being here in worship. So we'll begin our reading at Acts chapter 1. I'll begin reading at verse 6. This is the event that occurred 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. So when they had come together, they, this is the 11, the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you do at this time, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood together, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him to go to heaven. Now, a second text, just one verse from the New Testament book of Hebrews, after we see the ascension of Jesus, the next most, most logical question for us to ask is, what is Jesus doing now? What is Jesus doing after he ascends back to the Father? And the author of Hebrews in the New Testament uh, gives us a strong hint as to what Jesus is doing now. Hebrews chapter 7, simply verse 25, the author says, Consequently, and the consequently there points us back to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is the word of God. God. Friends, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for allowing us to be here in this place. Today, we thank you for the freedom that we have to assemble in worship. And we acknowledge that many of our brothers and sisters around this world do not have this freedom. May we never, may we never take it for granted. God, we thank you for calling us together in worship this morning. We thank you for meeting each one of us here in this place. And now, God, we pray that you'll give each one of us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. 
because we know that you have a unique individual word for each one of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. This past Thursday, we celebrated one of the most significant Christian holidays, holy days. This past Thursday, we celebrated the Day of Ascension. According to the chronology of the New Testament, 40 days after resurrection, 40 days of spending time with his followers, found Jesus on the Mount of Olives. And there on that 40th day, Jesus ascended back to be with the Father. So this past Thursday, 40 days after Easter, we celebrated the event of the Ascension. I hope that you noticed that day. I hope that you noticed that event. The Ascension of Jesus Christ is central to who we believe Jesus Christ to be. I know that frequently in the Christian community, we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and that's so important. But we need to always say death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus because it is the ascension of Jesus that completes the work of Jesus Christ for us. So today we are reminding ourselves that on the 40th day after resurrection, Jesus became our ascended, our exalted Lord. And when we think about how Jesus went out there to the Mount of Olives and ascended back to the Father, it is a logical question for us to ask, what is Jesus doing now? On the 40th day after his resurrection, Jesus took the 11. There's only 11 at this point because Judas is gone. Matthias hasn't been added yet in the book of Acts. So there's only these 11, and that's why the angels are going to refer to them as men of Galilee. Because after Judas is gone, Judas was the only Judean there among the twelve. All the rest are Galileans from up around the Sea of Galilee. So these eleven, these men of Galilee, go with Jesus out to the Mount of Olives on the 40th day. And there they ask Jesus a really important question, a good question. Will it be at this time? Jesus, that you will restore the kingdom to Israel. They knew it was all about a kingdom. They knew that eventually Jesus would restore the kingdom to Israel. But it was not to be at that time. In those moments, Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. There will come a time when the kingdom will be restored to Israel. There will come a time when the kingdom of God will be fulfilled, consummated here on this earth. But it wasn't to be there in those moments. There on the 40th day after the resurrection. So it was there that he ascended. And I can just see the eleven gawking up to the heavens. And there were two angels that said, why do you stand here gawking into the heavens? This Jesus will return one day just like he has ascended. Just like you saw him ascend bodily to the Father, he will return bodily one day and complete his work here on this earth. So the ascension is central 
to what it means to live the Christian life. Every time we stand and profess the historic faith using the Apostles' Creed, we, we acknowledge that Jesus ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From the Bible, we know that the right hand is the hand of blessing. In Genesis chapter 38, we look at the patriarch, and we see the patriarch Israel blessing his sons, and he lays his right hand upon them as he blesses his sons. So the right hand is the hand of blessing. The right hand is the hand of strength. In Exodus chapter 15, after God delivered the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt, and he led them through the Red Sea, he defeated their enemy, the Egyptians. They sing a song there, Exodus chapter 15, there on the shore of the Red Sea. They sing a song, and in that song of triumph, they say, God has shattered the enemy with his right hand. The right hand, the hand of strength. We also know that the right hand is the place of authority, the place of rulership. That's why Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He's there sharing in the rule of God the Father. Perhaps you remember Jesus in his parable about the sheep and the goats. He was talking about how in the final judgment, he, the king, would separate the good from the bad. He'd separate the sheep from the goats. He would put the, the goats on his left. He would put the sheep on his right. So the sheep got to sit on his right-hand side, the place of rulership, the place of authority. The most, the most quoted verse in the New Testament from the Old Testament is a verse that you probably have not committed to memory. The most quoted verse from the Old Testament and the New Testament is a verse that even though we haven't committed it to memory, it's obvious that the New Testament church, those who authored the New Testament, had committed this particular verse from the Old Testament to memory. It is Psalm 110 verse 1. Psalm 110 verse 1 occurs five times in the New Testament. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, and as soon as I read it, you'll know why the New Testament community was so enamored with this verse. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, two lords here having a conversation, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The New Testament Christians found that verse in the Hebrew Bible and said, that is Jesus. The Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's all about a kingdom. Never forget it's all about a kingdom. When Jesus began his preaching ministry, according to the Gospels, he began his preaching ministry with the words, repent, turn, repent, and believe the good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. Never forget, it's all about a kingdom. 
Jesus came to inaugurate that kingdom. Jesus preached and taught, and then preeminently he suffered death, burial, resurrection, and then went through the ascension in order to inaugurate God's kingdom here on this world. And we know that even though one day in the future, God's will will be done right here on this earth as it's presently being done in heaven. We know that little bit by little bit through the power of the Holy Spirit working in the Christian community, God's kingdom is right now, here and now, expanding in this world. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom by reigning and ruling in our hearts, the hearts of his faithful, and by reigning, ruling in our hearts, we allow him to rule and reign in our lives. And he's doing his kingdom work through us and the kingdom of God is extending here in this world. There will come a day, there will come a time when the kingdom will be completed here in this world. The kingdoms of this world shall become, according to the book of Revelation, the, ki the kingdom singular of our God and his Christ. One day that will come. But the kingdom is growing today as the kingdom of God extends itself in the lives of people like you and me. And as the Spirit works through us to extend the kingdom of God here in this world, those 11 there on the Mount of Olives that day ask a very good question. Will it be today, Jesus, when you restore the kingdom to Israel? Good question, just bad timing. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. The kingdom one day will be complete. The kingdom one day will be restored to Israel. But right now, the kingdom is growing. It's all about a kingdom. That's how we do the Christian life. It's all about a kingdom. How is Jesus extending his kingdom today? How is Jesus doing his work Today We know that he is doing his work through us. But how is Jesus doing his work today? The author of Hebrews gives us a powerful, a powerful example as to how Jesus is doing his work. In a verse that was loved by John Wesley, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, the author says, Consequently, in other words, therefore, in light of the finished work of Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and because he is ever living as our great high priest in heaven, consequently, he, Jesus, is able. I hope that you know today that Jesus is able. Whatever it is you're facing, I hope you know that Jesus is able. Consequently, he is able to save hope that you know he's able to save today. He can save you and me in so many ways. He can save us in this world in so many ways. Notice what the author of Hebrews says. He is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save completely and perfectly to the uttermost. That's the part of the verse that John Wesley loves so much. 
how the work of Jesus through the mediation of the Holy Spirit can save us, salvage us, deliver us, cleanse us, transform us to the uttermost. That's the journey upon which we have been set. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. We draw near to God through Jesus who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He, Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. So what is Jesus doing today? You see at the right hand of the Father, He ever lives to make intercession for you and for me. Usually when we think about the word intercession in the Christian community, we think about prayer, and that's a good thing to do because usually when we talk about intercession, we talk about that particular type of prayer where we do the prayer of intercession. We intercede on behalf of each other. To intercede means we place ourselves in the gap between heaven and earth. And through the prayer of intercession, we invite the blessings of heaven to come down into lives here on this earth. That's what the prayer of intercession is all about. So it's, it, it is appropriate to say that Jesus ever lives to make intercession. I hope that you take great comfort this morning in knowing that you... You are on Jesus' prayer list. He ever lives to make intercession for us. But it's even beyond that when we think about Jesus. If you go to the dictionary and look up the word intercession, you will see that to intercede means to simply intervene on behalf of another. He ever lives. He's busy today intervening on our behalf. He is busy today helping to bring some heaven down to earth to us today and then eventually taking us to heaven. In Latin, the word for priest is pontifex, which literally means bridge builder. A priest is one who builds a bridge. And according to the book of Hebrews, Jesus is our great high priest. He's the bridge builder. Between us and life here and now in heaven, he brings the blessings of heaven down to us and he one day will get us home before the dark on the other side in what we call heaven. So he's ever living to make intercession. Also, what he's doing today in this period following the ascension is he's see at the right hand of the Father making intercession and he... He is bestowing the gift of His Holy Spirit on us. Next week, we celebrate Pentecost. On the 40th day, Jesus ascended. On the 50th day, He bestowed the Holy Spirit on us. That's what makes us the church, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He bestows the Holy Spirit on us so that we can do His work here on this world so that He can intervene on behalf of this world through us. So today we gather around the living Christ and we, we celebrate our ascended, exalted Lord. 
I don't know what you are facing in life, but I hope that this will bring you great comfort. Hope that this part of our faith will help you rest well tonight. Oswald Chambers, that great Scottish preacher, one time wrote that at his ascension, our Lord entered heaven and he keeps the door open for humanity to enter. Tomorrow we will be celebrating Memorial Day here in the life of our nation. I hope that we will take a moment in the midst of the festivities to offer prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving for those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, who gave their lives so that we could be in this place today. So many, many, many people have sacrificed their lives for our sake, and sometimes we forget. So many members of our family, our families, have sacrificed for us, and sometimes we forget. I know that I've had family members in every American war except the Spanish-American War and the Mexican-American War, and I'm sure the same is true for many of you. So many people, so many of our family members have paid the ultimate sacrifice and sacrificed for us. We are here on their shoulders in so many ways today. So I hope that as you celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow, you'll, you will have great gratitude for those who have paid that price. But even beyond that, I hope that you'll have great gratitude for our ascended Lord who makes it possible for us to leave this world and go home to the other side, leave this world and find a home on our Father's shore in a greater light. I don't know what you're facing in life right now, but this, this conviction we have about the ascension of Jesus should give each one of us strength we need, the strength we need to march confidently into the future that God is working on for us. One of my favorite authors of this age is Timothy Keller. I've mentioned him to you before. I hope that you've gone to Amazon and looked up some of his books. He's been a prolific author. He has blessed the body of Christ in so many ways. I'm so grateful for Timothy Keller. He, he was the preacher who founded that church right off of Times Square in New York City. Timothy Keller has written some remarkable books. As I mentioned to you quite a while back, Timothy Keller now has been, has been living with stage four pancreatic cancer for almost two years. I'm so grateful for the faith that Timothy Keller had that he carried with him into this battle with pancreatic cancer. In one of his books, he, he wrote this. Jesus Christ controls all things for the church. And therefore, you can face the world with peace in your heart. He's at the right hand of God as the executive director of history, directing everything for the benefit of the church. If you belong to Him, then everything that happens ultimately, and that word ultimately is so important, Ultimately, everything that happens ultimately happens for your good. Last night, while you were sleeping, 
Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father was working to work everything out for our good. When you got up this morning, Jesus continued to work as we sit here in this place. Today, Jesus is continuing to work on our behalf. It was in the ninth chapter of John that Jesus one time said there in Jerusalem that just as my Father is always working, I continue to work all the time. So he's working for you. That's why we can claim the promise that we all love to claim, Romans 8, 28, that says all things work together for the good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. We can claim that promise. Make sure you hear what that promise offers, though. That promise does not say all things are good, does it? It says we believe that all things work together for good. All things definitely are not good. Sin, flesh, and the devil, the unholy trinity, is at work in the world. What happened in Uvalde, Texas, at Robb Elementary School, was not good by any stretch of the imagination. We just see sin, flesh, and the devil on display in something like that. All things are not good, but we have this conviction that ultimately, by the end, we believe that he's working all things to the good. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. In other words, we believe that he can step into the messes that we make in life. Little messes, big messes. He can step into whatever it is we do to one another or do to ourselves here in this world. He can step into that. And because he is the Redeemer, capital R, he can redeem it. And ultimately, one day calls it to work together for our good. All things are not good, but he's at work, working all things to our good. He will not allow anything in our life or in our history to be wasted. He will take everything and work it for our good. Notice also it says that we believe that all things work together not all things are good, but all things work together for good. Not just for everybody, Paul says in Romans 8, 28, but for those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. Sin, flesh, and the devil's at work in the world, but so is God. Do like Mr. Rogers said, always look at the helpers. When you look at the helpers, you're looking at what God is doing. You're looking at how God is working things for our good. Don't ever make the mistake of making it sound as if we think that that which is of sin, flesh, and the devil is good. And particularly never act like that which is of sin, flesh, and the devil is of God. It's not. But God can superintend. God can through Christ intervene on our behalf. And God can take all the, the messes of this world, even the mess that we ourselves may be, and work it together for our good. So if you think the world today is out of control, just remember our exalted, ascended Lord if you think your life is out of control, remember our exalted, extended Lord. 
If you think the lives of your family and friends and your children, they're all out of control. Remember our ascended, ascended, exalted Lord. One of my heroes in the faith is Corey Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom is one of those righteous Gentiles. That's what the Jewish community calls her, a righteous Gentile. Because she was that Dutch watchmaker, and she and her family saved so many, so many Jews during the Holocaust before she was taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And when she and her sister were taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp, they used that opportunity to minister to the other people in the concentration camp, to minister to them of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then after Corey Ten Boom was released, she did survive. She was released from Ravensbrook concentration camp. She became a mighty instrument in the hands of God. I know many of you have read her book, The Hiding Place. You've seen the movie. Perhaps you've heard her speak. She was a mighty instrument in the hands of God. She said so many things that have brought so many of us comfort over the years, such as God does not have problems, only plans. And another time she said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we want and we desperately need you to rule and reign in our lives until that day when you will rule and reign in all creation. We thank you for your kingdom that we experience in our hearts. We thank you for the ways that your kingdom is made real through us through the gift of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. As we invite you into our lives, may we truly yield our lives to you. May we truly seek you to save each one of us in so many ways as you are at work saving this world around us. We joyfully invite you to be the king of our lives and to rule as our exalted, ascended Lord. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.